Good morning once again. Uh, my name is Pastor Alberto and I have the honor and privilege to lead this church alongside our awesome team of elders. And if this is your first time joining us, uh, I want to thank you for being with us. If you're joining us via live stream, uh, shout out to you. Thank you so much for choosing to worship the Lord with us this morning. So I'm super excited. Uh, I always get excited to dive into the Word. Uh, and, and we are continuing our series through the book of James, uh, our summer-long series through the book of James. And we've been examining this idea that, that faith isn't just this passive thing in our life. Rather, faith is active. It moves us to action. Faith expresses itself in the way that, that we carry ourselves, in the way that we love and worship the Lord. And so this morning we are wrapping up chapter 1 uh, as we look at verses 19 through 25. James chapter 1, verse 19 through 25. So we're going to jump right into it. So I want to invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. James chapter 1, verse 19 through 25. Uh, shout out to all the awesome mothers in the room who left their babies in the nursery you're a champ, way to go. Uh, my son is in there doing who knows what, but the Lord is good. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 19 through 25. This is what it says. Know this, my beloved brother, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he, look, what he was like. Verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated as we pray. Lord, we come in Jesus' name and ask that you would prepare our hearts to hear your word and to receive your word. Lord, my prayer is simple, uh, that, that you would come and come and go before us and empty our hearts, empty our minds of any distraction. And Lord, let us not only receive your word, but would you convict us to put it into practice this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to uh, open up with this thought that um, all the relationships that, that we carry or that we enter into have a specific pace to them. Uh, for example, you might have a, a, a relationship with your career or with your work, and depending on what your work is like, demands this sort of pace out of your lifestyle. Maybe certain days are, are way busier than others. Maybe your Mondays are super aggressive, super hardcore, but your Thursdays are pretty chill and there's more free space. Or maybe you switch up your career and you find a new job and all together you enter into a new pace of life. And what was once your busy day now becomes your relaxed day and, and this different career maybe brings out a, a different pace in your life. Uh, it's no different in our relationships. Maybe you, you start out dating and there's this like awesome pace, like woohoo, honeymoon every single day, and then you get engaged, and then that's a different pace because you're rushing and scrambling to, to plan a wedding, and it sounds fun, but it's not really fun to plan a wedding, and then like you're just trying to make it happen, and you're, you're moving really fast and moving kind of slow because now you're trying to match pace with 
your spouse. And then you get married, and then marriage brings a new pace to your life where you're living in union with another person and adjusting your life to their schedule. And then you have kids. And it seems like every single relationship you enter into has a pace. And it's no different in our relationship with God. We know that when we come to Jesus, the gospel changes the direction of our lives. Where once maybe we were living inwardly and for ourselves, now the gospel frees us from ourselves. And instead of living for sin or for some sort of lesser identity or lesser idol, now we're liberated to live for God and the direction of our life changes. But so does our pace. And what often happens is that the gospel changes the pace of our lives, but what we want to do is sort of adjust God to match the pace of our current life. And so we're asking God to kind of meet us where we are and slow down or speed up instead of trusting in God's perfect will for our life and moving and being in step with the Spirit. Because when we think about the pace of the gospel, the pace of a relationship with God, it's a slow pace. Uh, Nowhere in the scriptures, and, and you've heard this before, do you see Jesus running and moving with haste? Uh, I must strap up my sandals and run to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. We don't see that. We see Jesus walking, casually, in no rush, uh, aware of his surroundings and aware of the people he's interacting with. We don't see Jesus running on water. We see Jesus walking on water. Uh, We don't hear about God running through the garden. We see him walking in the cool of the day. There's this pace that comes with a relationship with God, where our busyness meets his perfect peace, perfect love, and it slows us down to match his pace, not our own. The gospel changes the direction of our lives, but the gospel also changes the the pace in which we live our lives, and that's what I want to show you in the scripture. The gospel changes the pace of our lives. When we look at verse 19, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Instantly, there's a change in pace. We're called to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And it seems like when we live a life apart from a relationship with God, you know, the exact, it's the exact opposite. We're slow to hear, fast to speak, and fast to anger. And yet when we enter into a relationship with God, when we come into union with Jesus, not only is the direction of our lives changed, but now we're called to match the pace and the rhythm of Jesus. And Jesus fully embodies being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, among other things. Now, I was talking to Paul Dawkins, a wonderful member in this church, and, and, uh, and I love this thought that he shared with me. He said, you know, James is one of those books where you don't really need to spend too much time unpacking the nuances. Like, just do what it says. Uh, like, there's no need to, like, really interpret, like, okay, what does the Greek here mean for, for listen? Uh, it means listen. <laughs> uh, what does the, the Hebrew mean for anger? It means the type of anger that you carry inside of your heart. And so when we read James, one of the things that makes it so attractive is, is how practical and simple it is. But what I, I want to do for a moment, if you would follow with me, is I want to unpack a few thoughts that I hope will help make this more practical, uh, that will help you apply uh, these words of the Lord uh, in your everyday life. So let's talk about being quick to hear. 
Uh, I, I love this word because it's the same word that, that we see in John eleven twenty nine when Mary, a follower of Jesus, hears about Jesus. And in John eleven twenty nine, when she hears that Jesus is ministering, it says she heard it, she rose quickly, and she went to him. And I love that thought, that idea of, of when we hear Jesus, when we see Jesus, when we look at the word of God, our immediate response is to run quickly to, towards obedience and towards Christ. Uh, and, and so what's so funny is that in the ancient world tradition, um, uh, it was very common to hear the word. Uh, in fact, that was a common Jewish Hebrew practice. You would go to the synagogue, you would go to the temple, you would be sharing a meal, and you would hear the word read out loud. There, there wasn't really this uh, large uh, population of manuscripts that everybody could, could have their own sources of scripture, so they were uh, forced to hear the word. So in this first century culture, it was very common to hear the word recited. But what James is calling us to is just more than hearing. What he's calling us to is to hear it and be obedient to the gospel. Because what people were doing in that day and age is that they would uh, be fine with just listening to the word and then moving on with their everyday life. You know this experience. I have this experience. Uh, You come to growth group and you hear a great word and God's calling you to do something and then you leave and then never put it into practice in your life. You actually sit in church right now and you're hearing everything that I'm saying, but your mind goes somewhere else. And then you leave and it's as if the word never really took root in your heart. You read the word of God for yourself in the morning and it calls you to a higher way of living, but you settle for the normal temptations of sin in your everyday work life. And what James is calling us to is to go beyond just listening and hearing, but actively doing it. And in doing so, you know that that word has taken root in your heart. And so what James is saying is that listening to the word is not a substitute for being obedient to it. Uh, they're actually two completely different things. And, and as we connect it to our modern day and age, good feelings that you get when you hear the word are not a substitute for obedience to God's word. And sometimes we can come to a place where we read the word and we're experiencing the word and we have really good feelings and the Lord lifting us and covering us with his love, but that's not a substitute for moving past that and being obedient to the word. Showing up is not a substitute for obedience to God's word. Showing up to discipleship group or growth group, showing up to church on Sunday, showing up and sitting before the Lord with your Bible open is not a substitute to being obedient to God's word. God calls us to not only take it in, but put it into practice in our everyday life. And so what I find fascinating is that whatever you're listening to, whatever you are hearing, that will determine what you do. Whatever you're listening to, Whoever you're listening to, whoever you're hearing, whatever you're hearing, that will ultimately show up and come out of you through your actions. Um, and I, I've shared this before, and it happened recently. I was in North Carolina visiting my wife's family and living it, the life that is just different. It's, uh, talk about a slow pace of life, and it's amazing, and culture's different, the food's different, the... Um, the mannerisms are different. And after three days, like, I find myself just, like, acting like I'm a dude from North Carolina. Like, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like saying stuff like, what's up, man? And uh, just, like, mispronouncing words and all this stuff. And it just sounds so normal. And I'm like, look at me. I'm country. 
And it's this idea of, of following Jesus that you really fool. And Morgan's like, no, come on. You should have heard her accent before she moved down here. It was the sweetest thing. Uh, and so it's this idea that, that you're surrounding yourself around this specific culture and, and you're seeing people embody a lifestyle and you're hearing it and you're listening to it. And something happens because of the way that we're hardwired to image God. That if we're not imaging him, we'll image others. And then that'll come out of us in our speech and in our action. Um, and, and, and so what's so powerful about this idea is that the more that, that we find ourselves face-to-face with Jesus in his word and putting it in, that into practice, it comes out of us. Uh, it comes out of us naturally. If we're hearing the Lord, if we're listening to him and we're embracing that, that obedience, that lifestyle comes just naturally out of you as you're surrounding yourself and embodying the culture and image of the Lord. So whoever you're listening to, Whatever you're hearing has a big role to play in how you're being discipled by Jesus. And, and, and if you don't believe me, uh, find, some, well, find someone who, who spends hours and hours and hours just being uh, formed by social media or by a lifestyle uh, that, that, is, that is not the gospel and see how that comes out of them. Uh, it, it, you know, if I, if I stay too long on these Instagram reels, I, I'll start sounding like a TikToker and I just want to TikTok all day and I, I'm not even good at that. Uh, what you're listening to, what you're hearing matters. It has profound implications on the way that you see Jesus and the way that you follow Jesus. So it places this greater demand on our lives to really ask ourselves, uh, how actively am I listening to the, to the Lord? In his word, the Lord's voice through other people, and communing with God. And the more that we can find ourselves in that place of just being so relationally connected to Jesus, the more we begin to see our lives transformed by Jesus. And that's the invitation that, that he invites us to is, to, is to listen to him, to hear him, to obey him, to be so steeped inside of his word the way that coffee grounds are so steeped in water that it comes out this completely different product, coffee. The way that a tea bag is steeped in a clear glass of water and after a while it becomes this entirely different substance. That's the call of God over our lives, to steep in his presence, to, to, to steep and remain in his word, that we come out an entirely different creation, listening and hearing. And so what's so amazing about this is that uh, the gospel, the gospel frees us to embrace the Lord, to enjoy Jesus. The gospel frees us uh, to go after the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And even if we fail doing that, God still receives us with grace and kindness and uses those moments in our lives to draw us even closer to him. That, that, that when we run after Jesus and, 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 and we enter into relationship with him, what's so uh, necessary to understand is that you're not good at this and neither am I. And in fact, that's why Jesus would say on the Sermon of the Mount, whoever would put these words into practice will be like the wise man who built his house on solid rock. Now, that word practice is, is important and crucial because uh, what, what it means is that you need to practice because it doesn't come natural to you. You need to practice hearing the word of God and listening to the word of God and, and, and being obedient to it because there's something that is unnatural about because of sin running in that direction. And so this is incredible news because when you practice, you will fail. 
But when you fail, the Lord will still meet you there and continue to fine-tune you, sanctify you, uh, craft even more godliness in your life to the point that this thing that you're putting into practice, whatever it is that you're called to be obedient to, becomes second nature. And that's the call of following Jesus, is to enter into a lifestyle of practicing the Word of God until it becomes so ingrained into our DNA that it is just secondhand to us. The second thing, uh, the, the, the second change of pace is being slow to speak. I'm not good at this. Um, uh, and and um, the Lord has definitely been challenging me on this. And I, I, I just love how James is just so in your face with these things. Uh, being slow to speak. So, so often our approach with God and with others is, here's what I want to say. I hear your mouth moving. I hear sound coming out of it. Can you stop talking so I can say what I want to say? And, and that's how we live our lives. So, so instead of being uh, eager to listen and leaning in uh, to God, and especially others, we're just kind of waiting for our moment to, to jump in and, and say what we want to say. So it always feels like we're in this argument, not really listening to one another, and, and we're consumed with formulating a response. And then that response comes to you later, and you're like, oh, I wish I would have had that ready to go. And instead of being slow to speak, slow to anger, we find ourselves loathing to listen. We hate to listen. And we're anxious to argue. And this is the history of God's people that we see from the very beginning is that God would would establish for himself a a humanity, a country, a people that would live for him and reflect his image to the rest of the world and show all of creation, the entire world, that, hey, this is what living with Jesus looks like, and it's much better than the way you're living. Come and join us. And God would give his word, God would give his perfect law as a way not to restrain people, but to liberate them from themselves and order their lives in such a way that would be for their maximum goodness and their maximum fruitfulness. And what do the people of God do? They loathe the word of God. They, they, they fail to listen. Instead of listening to the word of God and being obedient to it, they give in to their own selfish desires and to their own way of living. And what happens time after time again in the people of God is that there rises up a generation who knew not the faithfulness of God. Because they knew not the word and they didn't see it practiced in the previous generation. And that's why as, as Christians, we must be followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, the way that we receive the word and the way that we put it into practice actually matters. That your Christianity, that your relationship with Jesus is not an isolated event. Rather, it's affecting the next generation that's looking at you, whether you know them or not. And the way that you receive the word and the way that you put it into practice will be a testimony to the next generation that would say, wow, God has been super faithful and he's worth following because I saw it in my cousin, in my brother, in my mom, in my dad, and in my grandma. And yet what happens in the people of God is that there rises up a generation who knew not the word of God, who didn't put it into practice, and the next generation failed to know who God was because they never saw it modeled. And so the call to being faithful witness to God's word um, in, in our listening and in our obedience has major implications that extend far beyond ourselves. 
but are act- is actually serving as a witness to the people around us. And we see time and time again the history of God's people failing to listen, failing to be obedient, failing to put into action the word and the lifestyle that God has called them to. And yet what do we see from God time and time again? This rugged commitment to be faithful to his bride, though they were not faithful to him. And we see this rugged commitment of grace and love and mercy and justice meeting God's people where they are and God calling them back to themselves. Calling them to repent, to turn to him and in his kindness transforming them. And this is the invitation that, that, that Jesus continues to extend to us, that where we get it wrong in our obedience and where we get it wrong in our listening and hearing, God is not there to shame us or condemn us. Rather, he's there in his kindness to draw us in and transform us from the inside out so that we could be his image bearers to all of creation. The next change in pace that we see is being slow to anger. Where uh, apart from Jesus, maybe uh, the pace of life is to be quick to anger, to be fast to anger, to, to letting rage and, 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 and anger consume you and then uh, letting that come out of you and uh, afflict those around you and your relationships and the way you drive and the way you carry yourself. And yet when Jesus changes the course of our lives and changes the direction, he moves us away from inward living to outward living. He moves us away from selfishness to selflessness. And this is the change in direction and the change in pace. Because when you think about it, where does this anger come from? It comes from selfishness. It it, it comes from your values or your life or your preferences or or, 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 or whatever whatever you're doing being interrupted and being inconvenienced and made uncomfortable comes from this selfishness that, 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 that is within us that, that Jesus comes to liberate us from. Think about, think about the days when, 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 when you're the most late to work and you're driving and, and there's something that's happening inside of you and the way that other people are driving is making you mad. And there's this selfishness that creeps up inside of you because you're not thinking about the other person next to you. You're not thinking about their lifestyle. You're not thinking about where they are. All you're thinking is that they're the worst driver in the world and they're affecting your mode of living right now. And so anger comes out. And the gospel, the good news of the gospel, some people are smiling and laughing. Hey, there's no judgment here, okay? Uh, I know you aren't. I'm just kidding. Uh, the gospel comes and frees us from ourselves so, so that instead of being directed and orchestrated by this selfish living, now we're free to go beyond ourselves and live for Jesus and let the love of God compel us to being a people of peace and joy that are slow to anger. The gospel changes the pace of our life. Now, uh, here's what this doesn't mean. Uh, slow does not mean suppress. Slow does not mean suppress your anger. Slow does not mean stifle your anger. Slow does not mean don't be angry at all. In fact, these emotions that God has given us are a gift from God, uh, but, but when they extend beyond the truth of God's word and the way that God has called us to live, what ends up happening is that emotions, instead of being for our well-being and good, can be sources of pain and hurt for ourselves and for others. 
And so Jesus slows us down. Jesus, Jesus didn't stifle or suppress his anger. We, we see him walk into the, the temple and, and, and he rebukes the money changers and he flips these tables, uh, not because he's raging because he had a bad day. Rather, he sees a place of worship being misused and abused and his righteous anger was extended towards the Pharisees in such a way that they would be called to repent of their hypocrisy. Uh, Paul, Paul didn't do that. Paul was uh, notorious for, for his uh, fun, righteous anger when he would argue with the religious elite and rebuke the religious insiders. He didn't show love and justice. You see, the difference is that God's holy, perfect wrath, his righteous anger, is directed against injustice. It's directed against the mistreatment of others. It's directed against the sin that takes a hold of us and not only ruins ourselves, but, but ruins our families and ruins the people around us that leads to all sorts of death and destruction. It, it, it way, it, God's perfect holy wrath um, and righteous anger is directed at uh, the brokenness and the abuse and, and, and the destruction of his people. It's not just a, a human rage. You see, what's so different about God's righteous anger is, is that it's not a self-centered attempt to justify anger. And, and usually when we experience this human rage, it's coming from a selfish place or trying to justify something that went wrong or something that we don't like. Whether it's in our relationship, our work, our lifestyle, something that is inside of us. And anger is, is incredible because it's a secondary emotion. It, it, it's not this sort of primary response. You, don't, you just don't wake up and you're like, oh, I'm angry. Rather, it's a response to, to a primary activity, something that uh, exposed or revealed that anger. Uh, you watch the news and, 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 and the primary uh, activity that you're taking in, the, the information that you're taking in about the injustices in the world are moving your heart to anger. It's a secondary response. And, and, and having that understanding is critical because this means that anger always exposes a deeper sin issue inside of our hearts. Uh, I love what the, uh, uh, the famous preacher uh, Adrian Rogers said. Uh, he said that, that, that if you have a cup filled with something, all it takes is a little bit of jostling to see what's inside of it. If you have a, a cup filled with coffee, all it takes is, is, is for that, that, that cup to be shaken, to see the coffee spilled, and you really know what's inside of it. And it's the same for our lives. Our, our lives are this cup, is this vessel filled with, 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 with God's work at our lives and, and filled with just as much sinfulness and brokenness that God is removing. And, and when our lives are shaken... That anger comes out and reveals what's really inside of our hearts. And so what's so incredible about the gospel, the good news in this is that your anger does not become an opportunity to sin, but it becomes an opportunity for you to draw near to the Lord as you see this part of your life that needs to be submitted to his lordship. That, 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 that the anger that comes out of your heart when you're frustrated uh, with uh, your coworkers because um, for some reason uh, they, they, they're, they're switching up things all the time and they're, they're hard to follow and come along are these opportunities where God is showing you, hey, this selfish self-control needs to be released. And here's an opportunity for you to trust my sovereign hand that will preserve you and protect you come what may. 
these opportunities that, 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 that come up that, 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 that make you angry because it feels like your life is in danger, though it's a, a very good response, a good biological response, can be opportunities for you to realize that your life is in the hands of a God who cares for you and loves you and knows the beginning from the end. Uh, these opportunities where you find yourself wrangling your kids and, and, and feeling all of the rage and all of the anger coming outside of you because they won't go to bed when you tell them to go to bed. They won't eat what you tell you to eat. They won't stop doing what you tell them to stop doing is this opportunity for God to come and show you what's really inside of you and call your heart to shepherd and show the gospel in such a way that will leave a lasting impact on the next generation, being slow to speak slow to anger, quick to listen, inviting the Holy Spirit to come help you and shepherd and parent. You see, in the kingdom of God, what, 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 what the enemy will use for evil, God will use for good, and this is what this means. What the enemy would use for evil and use these moments of anger to inflict damage and pain, to literally hurt somebody, to, 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 to literally put your hands on something, to, to, to cause destruction. That's what the enemy wants you to do. God uses that and redirects it to show you what's really inside of you and call you to a deeper level of godliness and relationship with him. So these moments in your life where you feel you will be angry this week, you might be angry right now, uh, these moments that you're experiencing will be opportunities for God to reveal what's inside of you that needs to be submitted to his lordship so that what's inside of you doesn't come out in a harmful negative, destructive way. The gospel changes the pace of our lives, and, and we also see a change in action. James one twenty one through 25 says that, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This is what we're talking about, that, that Jesus changes the direction of our lives. We're, once we're living for all sorts of wickedness and, and brokenness and a lifestyle that only satisfies us, now Jesus turns our life around, frees us from ourselves, and enables us to live with him in such a meaningful, life-giving, satisfying way. And he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. But be one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. Now, I love this image. First century mirrors uh, obviously weren't good. Um, and uh, I have a commentary to prove that. Uh, and so they were made out of like random brass and, and, and you would look into a mirror and you would see a weird reflection. And the idea was like you would have to like really do a lot of studying to like really see what you were looking at. And, and, and what James is saying is like, don't be that type of person that kind of looks into the mirror and you obviously notice something that needs to be adjusted. Maybe it's your hair, uh, maybe it's something on your face, maybe uh, you need to get washed up or cleaned up. Don't just be a person who spends all this time because it would take uh, a decent amount of time to, to try to like really observe and, and look into this mirror and see what's there. Uh, the way that, that it would take maybe some amount of time to look into the water and find your reflection. Don't be that person who spends all that time trying to see what your reflection looked like and then walk away doing nothing. Rather, if you're going to give yourself to the word, don't just, don't just look at it, but, but put it into practice. 
And so the gospel changes our actions and, and, and the call of a follower of Jesus, as we've been saying, is to put this spoken word into action. So one of the things that James tells us is to put away, uh, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness um, and, and receive with meekness the implanted word. And, and this is the idea that, that we see all over the scriptures. Put away sin, put, put to death what is earthly in you. And, and, and you don't just do that on its own. Rather, the way that you put away and the way that you put to death is by putting on. By putting on Christ. By abiding with Jesus. By enjoying Him. Nowhere in the Scriptures do we see the remedy for sin just being stop sinning. Rather, it always starts with enjoy Jesus. Come to Jesus. Receive Jesus. Abide in Him. And let that be the power that enables you to put away what is earthly in you. Then he says, receive the word. And, and what's the word here? The word is, is the gospel. The word is the, the good news, the, the, the message of God. And why receive the word? Well, James says that the implanted word, the word that is planted in our heart, takes resident in our, residence in our hearts. And as it begins to reside in our hearts more and more, it begins to displace the old nature the evil desires that we would give ourselves over to. Uh, He says, constantly receive the word more and more and more. And as you receive the word, that word begins to displace and remove uh, these things that we're called to repent of because there's no space for that when it comes in contact with God's word and presence. And the word of the gospel is fully able to sustain us and mature us from the beginning of our relationship with Christ to our last and final breath. You see, the, the salvation is not this isolated event where you hear the gospel and you accept it. Rather, it's this ongoing lifestyle of continually hearing the gospel, of continually receiving the word of God and finding parts of your life that need to be submitted to this word and letting this word come alive inside of your heart. That's why community is so important. That's why following Jesus together is so important. Because we need that sort of relational accountability. Uh, we need that sort of sacred family that God has called us to be so that we can spur, on, spur one another on in, in good works and good faith. He then says to, to persevere. Uh, to, to persevere in the faith. And, 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 and I love this because... Uh, in the Greek, the word there is remain. And I like that translation better. That the call to being a follower of Jesus is just to remain in Jesus. And so, so often it seems like uh, the task at hand is to just do whatever you can to keep up with Jesus. Do whatever you can to, 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 to not get lost or not get disoriented. But ra- rather the call to, to being a follower of Jesus is to remain to be rooted and planted in him. And I love that imagery that we see in the scriptures of of our relationship with God looks like a tree that's planted. And and trees don't get transplanted often. Trees remain. Trees stay. Trees are are, are rooted uh, in, in, in the soil and in its environment. And that's the call of being a follower of Jesus is to remain in him, to abide in him. And we see this happen in our lives when we begin to match his pace and walk with him, enjoy him, follow him. He says, look intensely. He says, uh, look intensely into the word of God. The, the, in other words, the gospel demands careful, ongoing consideration of our lives in light of the goodness of God. 
that the gospel demands careful consideration of your life in light of the goodness of God. That, that there's never a moment where we don't stop considering where our lives are or where we're going in light of who God is and what he's called us to do. Rather, every breath we take and every decision we make and every relationship we enter into and every step we make is taken in consideration with who God is and how he's called you to live. And so what I love about this is that to be a doer of the word doesn't start with, all right, go do it. To be a doer of the word doesn't mean uh, you hear it, now go practice it. That, that's the activity, but to be a doer of the word starts with a relationship with the word. If you are going to be a doer of the word, you need to have a relationship with the word. A relationship with the word of God that is constantly, um, uh, that you're constantly filling up yourself with as you find yourself remaining and rooting yourself in the word. And it calls for remembrance of the word. You see, part of the story of Israel that, that they kept on failing and kept on abandoning God was that they forgot the word of God. They forgot who God is and what he has done for them. And so our call to be faithful doers of the word begins with a relationship with the word, but also reminding ourselves constantly of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Because as we hear about the goodness and faithfulness of God, as we listen to the goodness and faithfulness of God, that sort of testimony, that sort of faithfulness will come out of us and spur us on to remain to continue to follow Jesus and enjoy him. John 1.15 says that uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So we see uh, the, the son of God, Jesus Christ, described as the word. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness shall not overcome it. I love this quote from Sally Lloyd-Jones in the Jesus Storybook Bible. Incredible book. I, I recommend everyone order it. it, it it's just so amazing the way that, that, that she uh, summarizes some of these great, great points in Scripture. She says this, His messenger would be God's own son. He would be called the Word because he himself would be God's message. God's message translated into our own language. Everything God wanted to say to the whole world in a person. And that person is Christ. He is the word, God's message of love to you. God's message of grace and forgiveness and mercy to you. God's message of approval and delight and satisfaction in you. He is the word and the word is for you. And I love what, what John says in 1.5, that, that, that in him was life. And the places in our life where we, where we desperately seek to come alive can be made alive in Christ. And this is good news. That, that when you forgot the word and you failed to put it into practice, the word came to you. The person of Christ came and met you where you are. When you failed to believe in the word, when, when you doubted the word, God, can you really be this good? God, can you really be this loving? God, can you really be this generous? God, can I, can I trust you with my life? God, can I trust you with my future? Can I really open up my heart to you and believe that, that you won't leave me to myself? The word never stopped working and pursuing you. The word never stopped enjoying you. 
The word Christ never stopped delighting in you. And when you fail to hear and speak and be obedient to the word of God, Jesus came and lived in our place as the, as one who was perfectly obedient to the word of God, perfectly faithful to the word of God, who not only listened to the word of God, but put it into practice so that we could have this great exchange that for you and I who failed to listen, who failed to hear, who failed to obey, could receive his power to live like he did. And at this great exchange where Jesus is dying on the cross and he takes on the full justified anger of God towards our sin, He exchanges his perfect, blameless, holy, righteous, incredible life. And in his life, we receive the power to enjoy him, to live for him, and to be in relationship with God. So that when you follow him, so that when you pursue him, so that when you're walking with God, you need to understand this. Your moments of failure and setback does not change God's pace with you. Uh, In other words, as you're walking with the Lord and and you stumble and you fail to be obedient to his word, it's not like God stops dead in his tracks as you continue on in your sinfulness and brokenness. Rather, he continues to remain with you and draw near to you, calling us back to his jealous heart, calling us to be obedient to his living word. So as we come to the table, where, where do you find yourself this morning? Do you find yourself as a person who, 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 who in this very moment or, or in most moments of your life, you'd look into the Word and like looking into a, a mirror, you, you, you notice an imperfection or, or you notice, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a dirt on your face that needs to be washed away, but you just kind of leave on as if it wasn't there? Do you, do you, when you look at the Word, do you see what it says, but just kind of move on and, and don't give it any attention to your personal life? Or when you look at the word, do you see the life that God has called you to live? Do you see the privilege of being a follower of Jesus and saying, wow, Lord, when I live like this, uh, there's this incredible blessing and reward that comes with it. Primarily getting to know you more intimately, but also the joy of being obedient to your word. Where do you find yourself this morning? Do you find yourself listening to the word, but not really putting it into practice? Or maybe this morning you're, 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 you're nailing down listening. You're nailing down perfect practice. You're nailing down all that James has called us to live. Either way, whichever place you find yourself in, God calls us to himself. And God primarily calls us to enjoy him, to be with him, to be in relationship with him, to remember him, and then that, let that spur on obedience and good works in your life. And so that's what we're going to do in this moment. Uh, in communion, uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he, he and his disciples gathered together to take communion. And, and, and I say this, and, and I want to continue to, to reiterate this. When we take communion, this is not just a Christian thing that we do. Rather, it's this powerful declaration of worship and remembrance. Because one of the most powerful things that we can do uh, in, in, in our spiritual lives is remember who God is. And what he's done for us. Remember this incredible exchange of, 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 of love and faithfulness and grace in exchange for our brokenness, our addictions, our doubt. And so when we remember 
the Lord in communion, we remember who Jesus is and, and, and what he's done for us. And as we continue to recall who Jesus is, as we continue to remember his faithfulness, that will work itself out in our lives through loving obedience. As we continue to immerse ourselves in God's word and in God's presence. So as you come to the table, I, I want to invite you to remember. Remember the goodness of God. If, if you're struggling this morning with being obedient, maybe being obedient to these things or being obedient to, to an entirely different set of things that the Lord has called you to, if you find yourself struggling and you're out of energy and you've been toiling all week long and you find yourself continually failing and missing the mark, there is good news. There's grace for you. There is good news that the Lord desires to meet you where you are and empower you to walk in victory and to overcome sin that primarily starts with enjoying Him and being filled with His power and presence. So wherever you find yourself this morning, I encourage you to come to the table and as you do so, would you repent? Repent from your own efforts to sustain yourself. Repent from whatever sin that you've been giving yourself over to that is keeping you from enjoying the Lord. And would you come and receive grace and mercy and love? Would you come and be filled with his power and presence?